I'm Kay Firth-Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Hello and welcome back to In AI We Trust. We are so pleased today to have three special guests who are all very important parts of the Equal AI community and who are all instrumental in the Equal AI Responsible AI Summit we've been sharing with you tidbits about. And as you know, it was the source of the white paper that you can find on equalai.org. During the summit, as you know, responsible AI leaders came together to align on standards and best practices for a responsible AI governance framework. And it is our final session of the badge program, which we are so excited to be launching again, our fourth cohort, September 21st. But in that summit, we were privileged to have a discussion with leaders across the US government, in addition to these AI leaders, including representatives from the State Department. We had Congressman Obernolte, Bayer, Lou. It was such a fabulous source of thought and discussion. And so today we'll be joined by three participants, Victoria Espinal, Reggie Townsend, and Don Blockswitch, who will tell us more about their participation as well as their work in responsible AI. Victoria, you've heard before on this podcast and we love having her on. As you know, she is president and CEO at BSA, the Software Alliance. Prior to BSA, she served for a decade in public service, including as President Obama's advisor on IP as the IP enforcement coordinator at the White House. Reggie has over 20 years of experience in strategic planning, management, and consulting, and is the Vice President of Data Ethics Practice at the SAS Institute, where he leads the global effort for coordination of strategies that empower employees and customers to deploy data-driven systems to promote human well-being, agency, and equity. Both Reggie and Victoria also serve with me on the National AI Advisory Committee, in addition to their other affiliations, including Equal AI. Dawn, who has the coolest title, Director of Pioneering Responsibly at Google DeepMind. Prior to this role, she was Program Manager for Ethics and Society. Before this position, Dawn held Director and Senior Management positions at consulting companies and leading technology companies. And so for all of those reasons, we are so thrilled to have you all on our podcast to share your deep expertise and insights on responsible AI. Thank you to each of you. We want to start by asking each of you why you began working in the responsible AI space. How did you become interested in this area and why is it important for the work that you do? Why don't we start with Dawn? Thanks, Miriam. And so excited to be here. Such an interesting topic of conversation. In terms of my journey into responsible AI, I think throughout my career, I've worked at an intersection between people and technology. It's an area not only that I care deeply about, but I'm fascinated by. And it's been in in thinking about how technology can be used to improve people's lives, but also the unintended consequences that can come with that. So I started working for DeepMind more than five years ago after this opportunity came up to work with them, and it's been a fascinating journey. DeepMind, um, now Google DeepMind, responsibility has been core to the way of our thinking since the beginning and has been something that has been seen as very important as we worked through what could be like game-changing innovation. Over the last five years, we've worked really hard to build that into the fabric of how our organisation operates, from having a set of principles that encode our commitment to responsible AI through to a committee that oversees this for the company. And while there's so much more to do, it's been great to see this really become a part of the way that we do things. 
Terrific. Thank you so much for sharing with us your journey, Don, and, and some of why this is important to your work. Reggie, would you mind jumping in next? Yeah, sure. And thanks for having me. You know, if I'm totally honest, Miriam, I got kind of scared in the responsible AI. You know, I, I had been just curious uh, doing some work here at SAS about AI. It turns out that we were in that space for quite some time just as, as an analytics provider and just doing some personal learning on my own, just about supervised, unsupervised learning, talked to some colleagues about it and learned that there's this whole space about concern as it relates to how the technology gets deployed out in the real world. So of course, you know, I, I pursued that that line of of thinking, got turned on to a couple of people, a couple of documentaries, a couple of books, et cetera. And I, I had an oh crap moment, which said, if we create technology that effectively digitizes the past, what does that look like for people who look like me? And it, you know, I kind of had a Jim Crow 3.0 <laughs> sort of image run through my mind. I said, this is not a good thing. And I started to see, you know, some of the network effect of downside risk and, and some of the harms that we we're seeing out in society and said, well, I'd much rather be a part of the solution than talking about the problem. And, and so I, I jumped in and some several years later, here I am. Well, another interesting journey. Thank you, Reggie. And thank goodness. So now that we get to learn from you and work with you and Victoria would love to hear about your answer to that question. Great. And very excited to be here today. Thank you, Miriam. Reggie, Don, great to be here with you. So I started thinking about this, I guess it's been about six years. And I started because of conversations that I was in, where I was hearing concerns, particularly around exacerbation of bias and discrimination, come up more and more frequently. And I, as CEO of BSA, I represent the enterprise software industry. And I took it to our companies, and many of whom I found were already themselves starting to think about it. And even though this was relatively early days, I think the company's sort of immediate reaction is, we believe this could be a problem, and we would like to see what we as an industry can do to try to address it as quickly as possible in a practical way. Are there things that companies can do to mitigate and reduce the risk of bias and discrimination? So we launched a process with our companies then, which, which led to putting together the BSA framework to combat bias and artificial intelligence, which is a very detailed document that lays out a number of very practical steps that companies can take. But in terms, you know, in terms of the beginning of the journey, it was being in a number of interesting conversations, you know, again, about six years ago where this was coming up and thinking that while it was not an issue that everyone was thinking about at the moment, it just seemed clear to me that it there was a great deal of potential harm and potential harm that could be rectified, potential harm that could be avoided if companies moved quickly to act responsibly. And it's been great to work with the companies on, on things that can be done to try to avoid and reduce those risks as much as possible. Absolutely. It is a privilege. I agree. So as longtime valued members of the Responsible AI community and Equal AI community, you've participated in our programs in different ways. So Victoria and Reggie, you were on the scene during the summit. Don was, was virtual and, and participating and, and guiding us from afar. So wanted to get your thoughts, Reggie and Victoria, from the interaction at the summit. 
you had the opportunity to participate and witness in, uh, Victoria, exactly what you're saying, you know, this privilege of helping companies understand how to do this work well so that AI can be all that we hope for, so that it can be safe, efficient, effective, and make our world a little better, hopefully a lot better. But if they take this important step of designing a framework and, and thinking about what it means to be a responsible actor. Can you share with our listeners how either the badge program and or the summit, you feel prepared participants for doing this work through their work at the summit on the hypothetical use cases, or what were some of your takeaways from participating in the badge program or summit? Sure, I'll jump in. So it was such a great experience to be there. Just the energy in the room and the, the depth of sophistication, but also caring in the conversations that were happening. So it was a, it was absolutely fantastic experience. Um, it was one that I would highly recommend. And and the takeaway, the main takeaway that I had coming out of that is this is something that can be done. It was very clear from those conversations that while yes, this is a complicated issue, and like many complicated issues, it's not isn't necessarily something that can be done you know, easily with no effort, but it is so doable. And hearing the conversation in the room and hearing what the companies are doing now and are thinking about doing in addition, to me, that was the main takeaway. Risk, bias and discrimination, artificial intelligence is a very significant issue, but it is also one that can be addressed. If I could, Miriam, I'd love to give a little bit of my badge program history for, for listeners, because you know, when I started the badge program a few years ago, it was still, I think it was still pandemic times, right? And we were all virtual, everything was remote and whatnot. But even through that process, we were building community with like-minded folks. And one of the valuable takeaways for me going through that process was to realize that there were other people like me who were trying to wrestle with some of these issues within their businesses. And that even if our brands may compete out in the marketplace, we had an opportunity to at least collaborate on some of these kinds of issues that Victoria was just describing, right? And so just the opportunity to have an outlet and say, hey, you know, what are you guys thinking around X, Y, and Z, right? Here's what we're playing around with. And so what that did was that allowed us to be fast followers for some of those who had kind of gotten out front. And then it gave us an opportunity to help some of the folks who were coming behind us, right? I like to say all the time, you know, if, if Google gets it right and we get it wrong, we all lose, right? If we get it right, Microsoft gets it wrong, like we still all lose. So this is one of these situations where all of us, because of the interconnectedness of AI, where we all have to get some fundamental things correct. And then let's go and compete out in the marketplace, right? So what the summit did was it was kind of the physical manifestation of that community, right? It was like getting all of these people in the room and having some of these robust conversations and thinking through some of the very particular issues that each of our organizations have to contend with because we're all you know unique in our own different ways. I thought was fascinating. And then when you layered on top of that, the case studies and those sorts of things, it just, it allowed people to kind of break away from their brands and just really get into the crux of the issues themselves. And so I thought it was very well done. Then of course you, you had the representatives and you know folks from Congress to come. So I thought it was very well done and uh, hopefully very well received. Well, thank you. Your contributions have been invaluable. And as everyone can hear from listening to you, we have so much to learn from your deep insight. So thank you for all that you've done to make these programs successful. 
And Don, you have been instrumental in thinking through how we learn from those who are leading in this space and how we learn from those who are navigating this space anew. So wanted to get your thoughts on why should we be doing this white paper? You don't have a lot of time to spare. Why did you decide that that was a good use of your time? And what are some of the key takeaways of this document from your perspective? What do you hope people will get out of it? Yeah, I, I mean, the area of governance in, in AI is such a critical area. So it's fantastic to see the work that Equal AI have been doing in this space and these discussions that have been happening amongst all of these different organisations and to, to actually draw attention to it and make sure that there's some really practical advice and, and sort of frameworks around this. I think operationalising this type of work is really hard and I actually think it's often underestimated so I really loved the fact that there was a sort of set of pillars that outline things in such a clear and practical way and that it's going to be useful for people that are setting out in this journey as well as those who are already on it. I'd really love people to take away that there are these practical steps, that it isn't sort of um, too daunting. There are ways to make this happen. I think also knowing that this isn't a precise science yet it's about using some of these tools and techniques and frameworks and making it work for your organization and where it's at. And that there's a lot for us to learn from each other in this space. And it's, you know, like, and it's, it's constantly evolving. I think one of the things I really loved about the paper was this emphasis on multi-stakeholder engagement, which I think is just so important. I think that when we've been looking at um, how we can engage more broadly, we've been very much considering it when we're deploying our models. And so how can we involve a range of groups, including underrepresented groups, to understand their views and perspectives and reactions in order to see how we can further improve our work. And I think this, this paper particularly like emphasised it, but also reminded me that there's so much to do in this space and that how you know, critically important it is. Thank you. I agree that it was so interesting that all of us have so much to learn from one another. I think in part because there were so many different perspectives that are able to be shared, both from companies that are newer to responsible AI, those who've been doing it a while, different types of industry that participate in the conversation, and perhaps even most important was different perspectives of the different positions of the participants, meaning chief privacy officers, chief AI officers, chief data officers, and everything in between so that we could hear what's your experience with AI? What, what are you seeing as a problem, an actual or, or theoretical, and, and how can we help you take care of your concerns and do your job in a more efficient, safe way? Reggie, how about for you? What are some of the key takeaways you hope people learn and glean from this white paper? I'll, I'll reinforce Don's point uh, and expand on it. The pragmatism and practicality, I think, is, is the standout. It, it should be understood by all folks, right, that in every single organization, the way you implement responsible AI practices has to be unique and customized for your organization. But what the white paper does is give some very specific principles and some proven suggestions on things that folks ought to consider as they are as they are implementing within their organizations. You know, some things sound relatively simple, right? Transparent communication, human-centered focus. Like that sounds really simple as a principle until you really get into your business and you say, you know, when we're designing a product, 
which humans are we centering? Are we really centering the individuals that we are attempting to transact with, or are we centering the needs of the company, right? When we talk about privacy preservation, are we truly hoping to preserve the privacy of the individuals that we're transacting with, our, our customers or our customers' customers? Are we attempting to hoard information for ourselves? Like these, are, these become very real, robust conversations inside the enterprise. And you have to make some value-based decisions on, if you will, who you want to be as an organization, right? And I think what this broader conversation about responsible AI is doing is this hopefully forcing us to have some of those dialogues and helping us to kind of take off some of the shields that have been, in some regards, helping us profit in some cases at the behest of those that we are profiting from. And so if, if, if anything, my hope is that coming out of this entire exercise as a, as a globe is that we will find ways to orchestrate our businesses such that those who are the most vulnerable among us can be more participative in the economic process. Well, what a important ambition and one that I very much hope and trust will realize, particularly from these engaging conversations that we've had. It just puts a lot of optimism in my perspective that we can achieve those goals as ambitious as they are. But I think one thing that would be very helpful for listeners is, you know, both in our white paper and in our discussion thus far, you know, there's a lot of lofty principles. There's a lot of, of, of what we're trying to attain in terms of big picture values and end goals. I think it's sometimes helpful or perhaps always helpful to break it down with an illustration of what does this look like in the real world, in, in your life? Can you share an example? And I'll, I'll start with you, Don. Is there an example of how responsible AI governance has presented an issue in your company or your experience that has forced you to rethink how you were doing something, how you were producing a product or engaging in a process and how has it created a benefit if, if it has? I think, as we all know, the world of AI is moving incredibly fast. And I think that's actually one of the biggest challenges that we're facing. I think we've seen this rapid proliferation of chatbots and image generation. We're moving to video generation. And as, we, as all of this is happening, we're seeing new creative ways in which this technology is being used, but we're also starting to see some of those risks being realised. That's created challenges for us in a way that we've had to really rapidly adapt our governance and ways of thinking on responsibility. I think one of the things that we've had to do is get concretely better, like, you know, get better at concretely evaluating our models in the areas of safety and responsibility to make sure that we understand how the models could act in everyday situations. I think one of the benefits that we've seen from having this governance in place, though, is that we look to have these really early conversations with teams who are working on high-impact work. And through that, we've been able to foresee some of those future issues and get ahead of them. And that's included commissioning work or research in certain areas, but also being very thoughtful about how we share our work. And an example of that would be when we released AlphaFold. 
our governance committee was very, very involved in the thinking around this and was supportive of us reaching out to a range of external experts to get their views on the benefits and risks of releasing alcohols, which then led us to reaching out to over 30 field leaders across biology, research, biosecurity, bioethics, human rights and law with a focus on having this diverse range of expertise uh, and different backgrounds. And I think that's really helped us in terms of having the confidence that this would be a responsible approach to releasing. Perfect, thank you. Reggie, how about a real world illustration from your experience? So, you know, I've had the, the great benefit of literally traveling around the globe for the last couple of years, talking to our customers about AI. And without disclosing too much, just for a little context, you know, we, we are a data science platform, right? So we allow people to build responsible AI applications using our platform, which, which then requires us to put the necessary capabilities into the platform. So, you know, we've got a whole landscape focused on trustworthiness as an example, so that people can detect bias so that it can be mitigated, so that people can, you know, identify sensitive data so that, you know, they can they can take care of their privacy concerns, et cetera, et cetera. And so putting those capabilities in place allows us to then go and have conversations with our customers about how they plan to use those capabilities. And, and in the absence of using them, gives us an opportunity to also ask, how are you using our stuff, right? Now, depending on where you are in the globe, there are varying degrees of liability associated with technology. And, and of course, we've got the, the AI Act coming out of Europe um, sometime soon, which is going to draw some lines. But, you know, deliberately, they are trying to keep those lines from being very narrow, right? They, they want to make sure that all providers share some of the burden in terms of liability. And so it becomes incumbent upon us as platform providers to understand more about how our stuff is being used so that we know that it's not being used for some purpose that we, we might not prefer. So what that has done for us operationally is forced us to start thinking about how we investigate these sorts of matters what kind of audit regime we may need to have in place. And so we're going through some of those activities right now to, to appreciate you know, how we'll be able to react as, as required. But it at the end of the day, it's put, put us, I believe, in a better position to have much more valuable relationships with our customers because we are not only protecting ourselves, but we are also helping them protect themselves in the process. Absolutely. And how about you, Victoria? Are there uh, real-world examples you could share? Sure. So you talked a little bit about you know, what are some of the challenges, what are some of the benefits? You know, I think some of the challenges are awareness. So I think this is an issue that is much more in companies' minds than it used to be, but I think awareness is an issue. But you know, also resources and time. So while I think this is all very doable, it does require resources and time and commitment from companies. But I think the benefits are so significant. And one of those is generally is that it's going to make AI more trusted. And if AI is more trusted, there's going to be higher adoption. It's going to be used more. And there's so many ways that AI can benefit our lives if it is used more in a responsible way. So, you know, I've been uh, thinking a lot actually just in the last couple of days about disaster recovery and hurricanes. A number of our companies are working to track hurricane forecasts so that they can warn people earlier and save people's lives. They also have programs they're using 
to get medical supplies more quickly to people in the places that where they need them, which is very critical when you're in a situation where the basic infrastructure has been significantly damaged by a natural disaster recovery. That's just one example. There's so many examples, but in order for AI to be used effectively in this situation, the basic technology needs to be trusted. And in order for that to happen, it needs to be as free from bias and discrimination as we can make it. So that's what I see as the overall benefit. Absolutely. So on this continued journey, we've talked about the white paper and the badge program. There's so much more work to be done. Those are intended to be supporting the work and creating the awareness you talk about it and, and sharing best practices on how others are aligning on what resources are most important and how they're being deployed. But what are the next steps for each of you in realizing responsible, effective, inclusive artificial intelligence? What are you aiming to achieve next in this journey? Reggie, let's start with you. I want to double click on the inclusive. If we can appreciate that AI needs data to do anything, and if we can appreciate that data is just simply our recorded existence, I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by that. Like humans have been walking the earth for tens of thousands of years, but within the last couple of decades, we started tracking our steps, right? And digitizing. If our recorded existence that is being used to train AI models is only representing a select few, then the digitized future that we create will disproportionately favor those select few. And so it's incumbent upon those who are not represented, which is a lot of us, to get into this conversation. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone needs to become an AI expert, far from it. And the world would be really boring if that were the case. But we do need more people to appreciate the value of their data. They need to understand how it is accessed, how it is prepared and governed. They need to understand a little bit about how models get developed and what they're optimizing for. And they need to understand better how AI is getting deployed in our lives on a day-to-day -day personal basis from personal navigation systems to you know, all the latest transformers, right? We're gonna have varying degrees of expertise, I get that, but we, we do need to up-level as a global society, but we'll just start in the US, but we do need to up-level as a society our basic knowledge around some of these concepts so that those who are not currently represented have a voice or at least have the inclination that they need a voice <laughs> in this space. So. I just, you know, I, I'm doing all that I can to reach out to those who are traditionally marginalized and made vulnerable in our society in order to make that happen. Thank you, Reggie. Don, would love to hear what's next for you in this journey. Well, I think there's so much more to do. I think even as this, this conversation is highlighting, and I think because so much is evolving, we need to stay across that, both in development, but also how it's being used. So looking at, you know, like how is, how is this technology going out? How are people using it? Um, and is that beneficial to society? Um, and what's, what's not? But the area I think that we're going to be most focused on going forwards, which was highlighted in the report, and I think rightly so, was the area around metrics, monitoring, and re-evaluation. I think it's just such a critical one for us. 
And it will require not only us as an organisation to prioritise it, but also as a broader industry to work on collectively. And I think the types of questions we're looking at there are how do we get to a common understanding of what a safe model is? Exactly what are we measuring? Um, what are the areas that, that really matter in terms of safety? How do we share that knowledge in this area and come to that, that common way of being able to evaluate? Because I think at the moment there is no consensus on how to evaluate those risks and harms at the moment. And we've talked about, again, bias and inclusion. And I think for us, that's going to be a key focus area for the next six to 12 months. So important. You're right. Thank you for underscoring that point and explaining both what it is and why it's important. And so thrilled to hear that something you're working on, something we all, I know, are giving a lot of thought to, and, and hopefully we'll see some progress. Victoria, would love to hear your thoughts. So first, I agree with everything that Reggie and Don said. That's all incredibly important. What I'm going to say is my next step might surprise you a little bit, but I think the next most important step is for Congress to act. I think Congress should pass legislation and pass it now that requires impact assessments, that requires risk management programs for high-risk uses. I think that is an absolutely critical step for the U.S. economy. I think is a critical step to ensure that companies are acting responsibly. So that is the next step that I think needs to happen and needs to happen soon. Absolutely. Well, I hate to bring this conversation to a close because I'm learning so much and I love speaking with each of you, but since we're there, I will ask you the final question we ask each of our guests on this show. If you had a magic wand to achieve one wish for achieving responsible AI, what would that wish be? Dawn, let's start with you. Oh, if only I could. For me, I think there's such huge value in interdisciplinary groups and bringing together diverse perspectives and expertise to solve problems. I'd love to see this become the norm everywhere. And I honestly believe it's going to be needed as AI progresses and evolves. And I mean that in two ways. Like, So within an organization, I think having those diverse perspectives would mean, you know, things like thinking about responsibility from the outset to inform the decisions about the way that you're developing your models and that you're harnessing an incredible pool of, of talent and knowledge to solve these problems upfront or at least anticipate them um, and working those through together. But I think more broadly, and, and I think, you know, Reggie and Victoria covered these points as well, there are some really big societal questions that I think we as a collective need to think about as well. And these aren't necessarily things that AI can solve, but they are the things that we're seeing AI highlight. And that example around bias and inclusion is, is, is definitely one there. So I'd love to see close collaboration across civil society, government, tech, and others to just work through how we solve some of those big challenges. Absolutely, great wish. We will all wish for that. But Victoria, what would your one wish be? I would use my magic wand to convene governments around the world to try to, to agree on a common approach to promoting responsible AI. I think it's essential. I commend the UK for what they're doing in terms of the global summit. That's going to be an important first step, but that is, that is not going to be the end of this discussion. But I think, again, with urgency, as quickly as possible, having governments come together and have a globally harmonized regulatory system have rules for responsible AI that are globally consistent with each other is incredibly important. 
Absolutely. It's so hard to imagine how a company can plan what their use will be without being clear on, on what the global consensus, what the standards are, what the expectations are across the globe. AI has no boundaries. And, and so how challenging when our laws do. Exactly. And it will help protect consumers around the world. The level of protection they have won't be dependent upon where they sit. So I think for, for companies, for governments, for for people, I think having as globally consistent system as we can that has strong roles and responsibilities for companies and organizations is critically important. You raise such an important point. It, you know, sometimes when we talk about policies, it sounds like it's so far away from the people, but it's actually making sure that people's values are respected and consistent. It's a message to companies of what the values are to align expectations. And, and so you're so right that it's at the end of the day, all about making sure people are safe and being cared for with their government protections in place and, and articulations of what those expectations should look like. Yes, exactly. Reggie, over to you for our final wish today on achieving responsible AI. Yeah, well, the old magic wand question, huh? So <laughs> so I'm going to approach this as the data ethics guy, right? I, I think the conversation about AI can be narrow. AI is a life cycle. It is not a technology alone. It is not a product alone. It is, it is a life cycle and so that means that it has to be addressed holistically. And I think we've touched on a lot of those facets, right? Government, academia, industry, you name it, individuals. As I step back, what that looks like is that we are creating a, a, a digitized economy, digitized way of life. And we've been on that journey for quite some time. AI has been around with us for quite some time perhaps not in the context of the large language models that are getting a lot of attention these days, but in terms of all the other stuff that it does on a predictive basis, been around with us for a really long time. So we've been on this journey for some time. As I said earlier, what concerns me is that we end up bringing a lot of the harms of the past into the future, but now at scale. And I think we have a unique opportunity. There's an inflection point right now for us to recognize what those harms are. And that's why we have communities like this and then to mitigate against those harms being instantiated into our futures. Look, I think if we approach this from the standpoint of recognizing that uh, we are all vulnerable, it, it only took the COVID pandemic for us to realize that I think hopefully <laughs> every single one of us is, is, is vulnerable at some point. We all will get old. You know, Our elderly are some of the most vulnerable in our society. Hopefully we will get old. Uh, we have people with various levels of ability. We have people who have been, you know, demographically marginalized, all of that stuff. So we are all potentially vulnerable. And in each particular use case, there is a different group of folk who might be vulnerable. And I think as companies, at least the way I'm, you know, attempting to lead ours is if we can look at each of those particular use cases where our technology is showing up and understand who the most vulnerable might be within the, that, the context of that use case, Let's solve for that, right? Because my belief is, and this is my magic wand answer, is if we can address the needs of the most vulnerable among us, then everyone else will be okay. So true. So true. And if I was smart, I would end there, but I confess I'm greedy. And I love hearing from you all, both because of your 
real thoughtful, deep insights as everyone can hear, but also those leading in this space. I think we have a unique opportunity to hear today. So before we close out, any final thoughts that you want people to know about your work, your concerns, your hopes with regards to AI or follow up on any of the points we've talked about? And Dawn, I will start with you and we can close out after if others would like. It's been such an interesting conversation. I think I'm going to bring it back to the paper because I think that is, for me, the grounding for this conversation. I'm really excited to see this being discussed more, that AI governance is being seen as something that is important and valuable for organisations and also more broadly. So I, I think my final thought is really to encourage people to get started on that now. It is the foundation for responsible AI in my mind, and it takes time to build and build well. So yes, I would encourage people to start as soon as they can. My note of hope is there is so much focus on this right now. Companies are focusing on it. Governments are focusing on it. And that gives me a great deal of hope that we will be able to come to collective solutions that are widely adopted and have a real life practical benefit because there is so much focus on this issue right now. I think that's very hopeful. Yep, a lot of reason to be optimistic. Here, here, exclamation point. I, I think uh, as Dawn pointed out, the grounding for the conversation is a white paper. This is why the white paper is important. All the conversation we've had today comes back to why we took the time and brought all of that energy through all of those weeks into that room on that summit day. And then all of the time and effort, Miriam, for you and the team to kind of distill that information into the form of a white paper so that people can just get started, right? I think that that is the reason we're here and I would just celebrate that. Well, thank you. That's such a great point. Can we just end on a note of huge kudos and and even more than that, thanks to Miriam and her fantastic team for pulling this together. And it's such a significant contribution. It's such an important initiative. And I know it's only continuing and I know this is only the beginning, but it's a very important milestone. So I, I, I love that, Reggie. Like, let's just stop, celebrate, and thank you so much for everything that has gone into this. A big plus one to that. Thank you so much, Miriam, and to your equal AI group for bringing such focus uh, to this area. It's such, it's such a needed area. So thank you. My goodness. Well, thank you all. I'm, I'm humbled. Thank you. We really have you to thank. I mean, where I would love to close this is with gratitude to you all. It could not have happened without you. The work we do 100% is benefited and derived from both the work that you do day in, day out, as well as your support for us and contribution with your time and your thoughts and your energy to Equal AI. So really want to thank you all for all you're doing to make sure that AI is the inclusive, safe, effective opportunity that hopefully it will be thanks to your efforts. Thank you all for joining us today and taking the time to share your insights. Bye, everyone. Subscribe to or download our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org 
www.weforum.org. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible. 